Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. New revelations about the Manchester suicide bomber. Da, da, da. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist, and your terrorist therapist. Well, today we are going to look at uh, some new revelations about the terrorist Salman Abidi, who was the suicide bomber in Manchester, the attack at the Ariana Grande concert that um, occurred on May 22nd, 2017. Now, why are we caring? Why are we going back to that? I mean, needless to say, that was an incredible, incredible, tragic attack. It was the worst attack in the UK since the 2005 7-7 attack that was there 9-11. July 7th uh, in, in 2005 was the attack on the um, train system and the bus and uh, and a huge number of people were killed and injured. And there have been, of course, many attacks since then, but they have been smaller than the one in Manchester. So what, what is, why is there this brouhaha? Why are all the families in Manchester and the citizens of Manchester all up in arms because of this new revelation or revelations that have come out and uh, the key to why they're so up in arms, besides what the facts are about the revelations, um, is because the, the revelations did not come from the government. They came from the press. The government has been hiding these secrets about the Manchester suicide bomber. Well, I'll get into that in a little bit, but let's go back and talk about the suicide bomber himself. He has an incredibly interesting background. And there were so many times, what's, what's, it's interesting, but there are so many times when the government could have and should have uh, caught him. In fact, he was on their um, terrorist watch list at times, but he, various sort of um, shadowy kinds of things happened to have them not keep watching him. And I'll tell you about that, but you know, this is a little solace for the families of those who were killed and injured in the Manchester attack. Um, in fact, in that attack, the blast itself killed the attacker, killed Salman Ramadan Abidi, and 22 concert goers and parents who were in the entrance hall waiting to pick up their kids um, because the attack happened right at the entrance hall and right when the concert was ending. It was at 10.31 at night. Uh, the concert was just ending and he blew himself up in the foyer and, along with the people waiting there and also the concert goers who were leaving the concert. So um, there have been various estimates of injured depending upon how you define the word injured. 
Originally, they said um, that there were 119 people injured. Then they said there were 250 people injured when you include psychological trauma and minor injuries. And then the number has been increased to 800 people. So 22 killed, plus the attacker, um, and 800 injured, including psychological trauma and minor injuries, as well as major ones. So, I mean, this was a huge, huge attack. So the fact that the government missed their opportunities to catch, to identify and catch and stop Salman Abidi is, is a tragedy of huge proportions. So let's um, look into his life and then I will tell you what these new revelations are. First of all, Salman um, was 22 when he blew himself up. He is, uh, was a British Sunni Muslim of Libyan ancestry. He was born in Manchester on New Year's Eve in 1994 to a family of Libyan-born refugees who had settled in South Manchester after they fled to the UK to escape the government of Muammar Gaddafi. Now, um, so in other words, the UK, England gave um, the, his parents, gave the suicide bombers' parents refuge when they fled Libya. So they took care of them, in other words, when they fled Libya, <laughs> Libya they, let them, they let them stay there. And um, Salman had two brothers, one older brother and a younger brother and a sister. He grew up in Manchester. Uh, he had, there are some interesting aspects of his childhood, which of course is key to why he did what he did in terms of the Manchester concert bombing. Um, he, he, the, one of the, probably one of the first clues <laughs> that were missed was that he was among a group of students who accused a teacher of Islamophobia for criticizing suicide bombings. Well, Clearly, um, it's not clear how old he was at that time, but, and whether how clearly he had formulated his plans, his uh, dream to grow up and be a suicide bomber, but that was somewhat in his mind. That was at least the seeds were in his mind um, during childhood. Now, there are varying descriptions of him. Some neighbors described the family the Abidi family, as very traditional and, quote, super religious, unquote. Then um, one acquaintance said that uh, Abidi was outgoing, the, the Solomon Abidi was outgoing and drank alcohol until 2012. Then there's another one who said that he was a regular kid who went out and drank until 2016. Obviously, he was drinking after the first one, uh, uh, had seen him. And then also a number of reports say that he smoked pot. Um, then also we have um, Solomon and his elder brother, and before 2011 also his father, um, attended the Didsbury Mosque. Now that hits home particularly to me. Uh, I was in London in January, this past January, to receive an award for my book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, the London Book Festival Award. 
and I did a number of book readings and signings and so on. And I purposely, in addition, I spent most of my time in London, but I went for a day to um, uh, Manchester because of the this attack, the, the attack at the concert that we're talking about, because I wanted to, and I did, donate my book to the library in Manchester and uh, to the two mayors. And also I had a book signing at the Didsbury <laughs> bookshop. And um, so, you know, to think that this, this man who committed the concert attack, this suicide bomber, uh, attended a mosque right near where I was, you know, doing my book signing, what, like um, less than a year later. Uh, it's a bit chilling. Now, that isn't to say that there is anything wrong with this mosque, really, uh, because there's an imam at the mosque who says that um, Salman looked at him one day with, quote, with hate after he was preaching against ISIS in 2015. So I'm not saying that the mosque itself uh, preaches terrorism. Um, we know that the, this uh, Solomon was involved with the Libyan Islamic Fighting Group, which is actually an organization that's banned in the UK. And he is reported to have told his friends that being a suicide bomber was okay, quote unquote, okay. Of course, that goes along with his um, complaining about his teacher who <laughs> said that it wasn't okay. Now, a key in his life was 2011. Um, he had attended, before that, he attended Bernard Academy for Boys in Manchester between 2009 and 2011. And then in 2011, his parents returned to Libya where they were born because it was the overthrow of Muammar Gaddafi and they left their kids <laughs> in the UK. Now, um, that, that led them, um, you know, obviously they felt abandoned and that caused them to get up to no good. And it caused them to, and this, this isn't really well uh, documented, just how many trips um, Salman and his brother, his younger brother took to Libya. And these people, these families, are now up in arms because it has just been revealed through an investigation of the press, not the government, or not revealed in the government, although they have been doing their own investigations, but it wasn't the government who told these new facts to the families, um, but the press. And, um, but before we, just wait, <laughs> it's coming, wait for it. Um, I just want to finish telling you about, about how we got there, what happened with uh, Salman. So his parents left him, abandoned him in 2011, which uh, did not bode well. Um, I mean, he was born in 1994, so 1904, 2004, 2004. He, he was a teenager, um, and he, you know, he, was, he was still in his formative years, shall we say, and his parents going back to Libya, um, leaving them in the UK to fend for themselves, really played a role in um, them ultimately becoming influenced 
by terrorists. Now, again, though, there have been, apparently there has been travel um, of Salman between Libya and between, it's questionable, he may have gone to other sites of um, where there are terrorists, gotten other uh, learning from these terrorists. But in any case, what we do know for sure is that um, after he went to the Burnage Academy for boys in Manchester, he then went to the Manchester College until 2013. So for two years, um, he was left alone to go to college. He then took a gap year where he went with his brother, his younger brother, Hashem, to Libya to live with their parents. So they were tired of fending for themselves and they went to Libya to uh, live with their parents. And his father, um, Ramadan uh, Abini, was um, a big, uh, was a terrorist, essentially a terrorist, and um, was fighting in Libya on behalf of the terrorists and clearly um, influenced his sons to follow his lead. And um, in August 2014, and this is the news, this is what has come out, in August 2014, that is when the war in Libya heated up. And the um, Royal Navy, the UK Royal Navy, went to Libya to rescue 110 British people. And included in these 110 who they rescued from the war zone was Solomon and his younger brother. So not only did the UK give, um, give, um, rescue in a sense, allow his parents to stay in the UK after they fled Libya originally, but um, they then inadvertently, well, inadvertently, that's for you to decide, rescued um, Solomon and his younger brother during this 2014 uh, general rescue of, of the British people because, because it was a very, Libya had become a very dangerous place to be in. Now, um, they took them on the HMS Enterprise, and this was the Libyan Second Libyan Civil War, it was called, and they took these 110 Britons to Malta, and then they flew them back to the UK. And um, Salman, at that point, um, attended the university at Salford, where he was studying business administration. But this has, is thought by some to have just been a um, ploy to get money, uh, scholarship money, which he then used to finance his planned terror attacks. He then dropped out of the University of Salford to work in a bakery. And he used these students lo student loans to finance his plot, including traveling overseas to learn bomb making. Now, this may have been in Libya. This, there was also actually someone who lived in, um, uh, there was a neighbor who actually was an expert in bomb making. So it's not clear, you know, he may have learned his bomb making skills in a number of places. Now, he has been known to the British security services and the police several times. 
but um, at mostly he was linked to petty crime and they, they ignored basically the warning signs that linked him to um, radical views. And, and, and it's amazing, you know, as you may be thinking, I know what you're thinking, that this is not the first terrorist who was um, looked at by counterterrorism forces and who ignored the things that were right in front of them. So there are many people who have come out, especially now, especially now that this news has just been revealed, um, the truth about Salman, the Manchester bomber, uh, just, you know, just this week, it's been revealed that he was amongst the 110 that were rescued. And um, so people are coming out more and more to say that they tried to alert the British authorities to the fact that uh, Salman had terrorist plans and nothing ever happened. So like, for example, um, there was a community worker who is saying that he called a hotline five years before the Manchester Ariana Grande concert bombing. And he warned the police about Salman's views. And then there are other um, people who they said, the people, they call them the Libyan diaspora. In other words, people who had come from Libya and also been given the place to stay in the UK. They said they warned authorities for years about, man, about the radicalization that was going on in Manchester. And then, um, then there are other community leaders and family members um, that, uh, that he, you know, they reported him for what they suspected. And then, um, then a European intelligence officer said that uh, Salman was in contact with members of ISIS, the ISIS Batar Brigade in Libya. Um, and then, then also there's videotape of his making purchases for the construction of the bomb in the four days between his return from Libya and the attack. So in other words, he was, he was going, Salman was going back and forth to Libya from Manchester um, several times that were not really being followed. I mean, you'd think, you would think uh, the, the British counterterrorism authorities would be wondering why he's going back and forth to Libya. Um, and he came back the last time, four days before the Ariana Grande attack. And, um, and so there's video of him in a store. <laughs> so he looks like anybody shopping in a grocery store. Um, and he is gathering supplies um, for his attack. Now, after the attack, he had his elder brother was arrested in Manchester, um, but it is not doesn't seem like he is being, uh, it's not clear what is actually happening to him, but his younger brother is in deep trouble and I will tell you about that. Um, he actually, Salman spoke to his younger brother 15 minutes before the attack. It's always interesting how these terrorists call their family 
um, right before they know they're going to commit suicide, they're going to blow themselves up in a suicide bombing. They have this um, really sort of natural um, urge to talk to their families um, right before they die. Now, of course, in this case, it wasn't just to say goodbye. It was, there is clear evidence that um, his younger brother, who was in Libya at the time, um, helped him with his plot, with his plan to commit the Ariana Grande attack. So um, there are varying reports about when he, um, when the, when and how much and why the security services were uh, paying attention to Salman. But one report says that before he was rescued, now we're talking about 2014, before he was rescued from Libya in that, uh, with the other Britons, um, that seven months before, the security services had concerns about him, and yet they rescued him. These new revelations are showing that clearly the government, the UK government, should have been paying more attention to him for years, um, and in particular to not have uh, rescued him in 2014, along with other Britons, when there was the civil war in Libya. Um, these two brothers were saved by the Royal Navy from this war zone in Libya, to, um, Solomon and his younger brother, and now one of them is dead, Solomon, after his attack on the concert, and the other is in a Libyan jail fighting to avoid justice. So I'll tell you what the story is with his younger brother, who is um, in jail between a rock and a hard place, as he should be. And if they had, if the, the counterterrorism forces had done their duty, um, Solomon would have been in jail before he committed the attack. Uh, okay, so getting back to, um, to, you know, this is all about the, the Royal Navy's rescue, and um, people are, are angry that they, in fact, rescued him and didn't do any more uh, investigation, you know, and just included him with the others and uh, didn't wonder, didn't ask, didn't find what he was doing in Libya and um, what his parents were doing in Libya and so on. So, um, I mean, they, sh they should have been finding out why they were visiting Libya without, you know, having been, been more better scrutinized. And of course, the, the real, um, the, this is particularly abhorrent because this, this information did not come out from the government, but rather from the press who did their own investigation. Now, um, there had been actually an investigation into how, you know, into the concert suicide bombing and how that happened and who um, Salman was and so on. And, um, and the report that was released in December about what happened um, did not mention, I mean, that's the key, just to clarify this, why, why it's particularly um, making these families of the victims so angry is because in the report that there was, the investigation that there was uh, into Salman and so on and into this attack, it never was reported 
in the in the investigation, the official investigation report, it was never reported that he had been rescued in 2014 from Libya. So, uh, and, and as I was saying, that there, there are some reports that he was already being monitored by security seven months before the rescue, and yet they closed his file and they ca called it a, a case of mistaken identity a month before he was evacuated from Libya in 2014. So now, of course, all these people involved in the investigation and so on are, are backpedaling and, you know, insisting that he wasn't radicalized at the time and coming up with all these excuses. They're saying that he, he was, I mean, he wasn't radicalized at the time. Really, his father for years had been indoctrinating him into uh, terrorist um, beliefs, terrorist plans, and, and really influenced him and his younger brother, if not his older brother as well, to follow in the father's footsteps. And, um, but they're saying that he, the security forces are saying that he was brainwashed after, well, after he came back, after he was rescued in 2014. So in other words, in the three years between 2014 and 2017, when he committed the Ariana Grande concert, suicide bombing. And they're saying that he was brainwashed after he watched bomb making videos on the internet. Now I'm sure that the, I'm sure he watched bomb making videos on the internet and that yes, this um, served to further indoctrinate him, further um, get him to believe, you know, what his father had been telling him since he was a little boy. And, but then there are other people who have other sources, you know, I love this sources, right? Um, other sources say that they saw Solomon on the front line in Libya, fighting alongside jihadis in Libya. So in other words, how could people, the, the security forces, not have known that he was actually a terrorist? And so they don't understand why he wasn't detained, monitored, kept away from the UK until they had done more investigation. Um, and, um, you know, all the parents and, and relatives and even the mayor, you know, are, are, um, are recognizing how difficult this is for these people to hear, you know, that, that they're, that, that really this could have been and should have been stopped. So, um, there are some interesting, uh, interesting additional facts about Salman. Particularly, you know, as a psychiatrist, I love to hear things about his childhood, right? Um, and what he, he was, when they had investigated him um, in January 2014, seven months before the rescue from Libya, they, it was that he was thought that he might have been the person who had been seen acting suspiciously with a subject of, in, of interest, but then it turned out, or, or so Solomon claimed, that he did know the suspect who was a subject of interest, but it turned out that he wasn't the person who was seen with him. So they closed his, his record. They, they decided he was a low risk. I mean, really? Just because he wasn't the one in that particular instance who was seen with the person who they were looking at as a subject of, of interest, that means they should just ignore him now? 
Then he came to the attention of authorities again after he was back in the UK in October 2015 because of his supposed contact with an Islamic State figure in Libya. And then they decided that this allegation was wrong and they closed his file once more. I mean, you know, where there's smoke, <laughs> there is usually fire. So um, then they're getting back to when he was younger um, and going to Manchester College until 2013, two people have come forward who knew him then and they claim that they called an anti-terrorism hotline to warn police about his extremist views. And I mean, so now, you know, more now that this has come out, now that the cat's out of the bag about his having been rescued, more people are coming out to say that, yes, we tried to warn them. Uh, then then, it, then the, the Greater Manchester Police are saying they found no record of the phone calls of these people. Well, you know, I mean, maybe that doesn't mean, of course, that they didn't make the phone calls. What it's more likely to mean is that the phone calls weren't taken seriously and whatever notes, if there were notes made of the phone calls, that they are long in the trash <laughs> or buried somewhere. Um, now, um, you know, it's thought also that that he went, that during the time that his parents went to Libya and left his, the kids in the UK on their own, uh, he went on school holidays to the war in Libya. And it is thought that that's where he may have learned to kill as a 16-year-old. I remember he was 22 when he attacked the Ariana Grande concert. So these are years of, of not only watching videos online, but actually being in this war zone, and, and, and even before that, being influenced as a young child by his father, who left in, in 2011. So before then, being influenced. Um, there's so much. I'm trying to pick out the most, <laughs> the most interesting kinds of things. Oh, well, this is this, this. Um, he, you know, some friends are saying that he grew up as a typical teenager, supporting Manchester United, enjoying parties, drinking, smoking pot. But here, he was teased with the nickname Dumbo at school for his big ears. Now, as you may have noticed, there are usually, um, there's, there's something, whether it's a school shooter or it's a terrorist, um, and, and a 9-11 type terrorist, um, there, are, there are things in the childhood, traumatic events, you know, teased this, in this particular example, Salman being teased about having big ears and being called Dumbo at school. And of course, as I said, his parents abandoning them. So um, bottom line is that there were many, many red flags that were missed. And, um, and particularly in, in, in times close to when, um, uh, well, the people, there were friends who said, other friends who said he was slow and unintelligent. When he quit Man Manchester College, there were ma anger management issues. He supposedly punched a girl for wearing a short skirt and telling the head teacher there were a lot of things going on with his family and fighting in Libya. 
Um, then when when he back when he when he came back to london after being in libya and and as as i said he took seven thousand um pounds from taxpayer funded student loans and he pocketed the money and dropped out of school and this was used to fund his ultimate terror attack um they fed, by now people saw him chanting in the streets and putting the bins out wearing islamic robes and he had become fully radicalized. Again, one must ask why more people didn't call um, the government to report him. So this is, you know, not an eight, I mean, it is unique in, in terms of, you know, his family and going, going to Libya and so on and, and uh, being there and all the years that he had to prepare him for the horrible moment, moment of, um, detonating his suicide vest at the Ariana Grande concert. And we can only hope that people learn from this, that counterterrorism groups learn from this, that the government learns from this, that um, we can't be, we can't be so quick to ignore all of these red flags. I mean, what, it's often in the, in the, um, it's often because of political correctness that there is this tendency to ignore red flags and give people uh, the benefit of the doubt. Well, next time we need to be thinking about the people, the victims and their families who died and were injured and suffered the loss from the Ariana Grande concert. Well, thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.